and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Before we get started with this one, I've been teasing some big and exciting news, and it is time to let everyone know what that is. I first want to spend a quick second thanking just a few people. Vlad Moldovanu, my former teammate and current pro who originally started Motor City Hoops and asked me to join him. Without him, I would never be doing what I'm getting the pleasure of doing. Mike Cleansing, creator of the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, for giving us the place to start. Wes Davenport, who is every bit a part of Motor City Hoops as me and every listener, follower, subscriber, and individual who has supported, listened, or interacted with me in the podcast. You seriously have no idea how much I appreciate you and love that the podcast has grown to what it is. As you know, all of this has progressed into a relationship and partnership with Detroit Bad Boys with the amazing opportunity given to us by Sean Corp and Laz Jackson, and I can't thank them enough. And now it's time for myself and Motor City Hoops to grow once again, as I've been offered an absolutely unbelievable opportunity to create a new podcast with a co-host I could never imagine. With absolutely incredible pleasure and excitement, let me introduce you to my new co-host on our new podcast, The Pistons Pulse, starting March 1st. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, and I'm extremely excited to team up with Bryce for our new podcast, which will be hosted through the Detroit Free Press, The Pistons Post. Uh, me and Bryce have talked about this. Uh, seems like it's been a long time, and it kind of has been a long time. I think we started talking about it back uh, last fall, and it's just great to be able to just be sitting here and being able to announce it because uh, we're just both so thrilled to I'll be able to be doing this uh, every single week. We're going to have a new podcast for you all. We'll have special episodes here and there, uh, whether it's you know for the draft or free agency or just a, a notable basketball game. Uh, and I think what would make this podcast really great is that, you know, of course, myself uh, being a full-time beat writer at, at the Free Press could give the insider perspective. And then Bryce, as you all know, uh, all of you longtime Murder City Hoops listeners, uh, he played at American University. Uh, he's coached basketball for a long time. And uh, just from a X's and O's analysis, uh, you know, just knowing what it's like to play the game, how the game works perspective, Bryce really is second to none. So the hope is that this partnership will, you know, make this a pod that you all can listen to weekly and really just get a full perspective of where the Pistons are. And we hope that we can you know, help you through your fandom or just understanding of uh, the Pistons as a team and organization. And uh, this will be a weekly stop for you all. Yeah, so every Tuesday, we'll continue to drop on Tuesdays about a 55-minute episode. And as Omari said, I, I reached out kind of, you know, Omari and I have had a, a little bit of a friendship relationship going back to the summer. We recorded the first time together at Summer League. And I was just like, I'm going to go on a whim. Like, I'm, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to see if Omari would have any interest in, you know, joining me as a co-host. And he said yes. And, we, you know, he, he threw the idea to Detroit Free Press. And then, I, I don't know, Omari, I feel like they just kind of built on it from there. And they've really gotten behind it. So this will be a podcast completely brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. And you can find it on their website. It'll be a completely new podcast feed. So the Pistons Pulse, and I'll keep letting you know about this on Twitter over the upcoming episodes. I am going to finish out the month of February with Motor City Hoops. And then the Pistons Pulse first episode will be March 1st. But it will be a new podcast feed. And that 
that podcast feed is not out yet when you are listening to this on Wednesday morning. Hopefully, we are hoping by the end of the week, by Friday, maybe at the latest, the beginning of next week, that podcast feed for The Pistons Pulse, brought to you by the Detroit Free Press, will be out with the trailer so you know what we're going to be all about. But that podcast feed, again, and the trailer are not out yet. Check back the end of the week. I'll put it on social media. I'll put it out on any episode so you know when the podcast feed is definitely out and when you can go check out the trailer. You can find the links on the Freep website. We will have them on Detroit Bad Boys website as well. My relationship with Detroit Bad Boys is not going away. I'll still write the articles. Um, but as Omari said, I am juiced about this. It's been a long time coming. And I think Freep is as well, Omari. No, they are 100%. Uh, I think the podcast space is a space that's grown exponentially over the last decade. And it just makes sense. You know, it just makes sense to have a, a Pistons podcast. I think there's a lot of great podcasts in, in the market. Um, you know, I don't think there are too many podcast listeners who are only listening to one pod right now. And it just makes sense. You know, I think that there's space. And it's just a new way uh, to reach new listeners as well. And I also add that I still think the Motor City Hoop spirit will still be pretty strong in this podcast. Uh, when I first uh, joined Bryce to do his show last summer, we were actually it was actually during summer league. We were yep. in Las Vegas and Bryce made the trip down there. And, uh, you know, and, and I was there and uh, Bryce reached out and I, it just really stood out to me just how organized the pod was, uh, just the, you know, the topics and, you know, how, how we re- researched everything was, um, you know, so when we kind of got together a few months later and talked about, you know, doing a co-pod, it just, it just made sense. You know, I, I just think it made sense. And we are both thankful for the free press for giving us the space to do this every single week. So we think it'll be a lot of fun and, you know, we're definitely eager for you all to join us on this, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I don't think it's going to change a lot. Obviously the name changes free being behind changes. Omari being weekly is the biggest change. And, and that, I just think that, makes the the podcast even better. The fact that he's willing to co-host it with me and be on it every week. You guys all know what Omari brings to the table as a Pistons beat writer. And I, I hope you guys are as excited about this as we are, that you will make the move with us to the Pistons Pulse. I'll continue to plug it on the upcoming episodes and on Twitter. Make sure you follow Omari. Omari, can you give your Twitter and maybe the free uh, social media for the listeners as well? Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at my first and last name. That's O-M-A-R-I. S is in Sam, A-N-K-O-F-A. And then you can follow uh, Freep Sports at, it's the way it sounds, F-R-E-P-S-P-O-R-T-S. Yeah, so make sure you follow those on Twitter, any social media. Make sure you're following me if you are at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. And uh, again, I hope you guys are excited about this as we are. I'll continue to update you and give you news over the next couple weeks and make sure you tune in March 1st. And let's get to today's episode and our amazing guest that is joining us to break down every move that was made around the NBA at the trade deadline or as many as we can get through in 45 minutes. Could not have thought of a better person to join me for this contributor at Track, Celtics blog and the front office show, Keith Smith. Keith, welcome back to Motor City Hoops and thank you for joining me. Ah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's just get right into this one, Keith. Let's talk about the deal that is most interesting to Pistons fans, and that is the four-team deal, Marvin Bagley III coming to Detroit. I want to ask, because we've broke down Marvin Bagley III, we've seen him in action now on Monday night. I want to get right to a question a lot of fans have, and that's about the cap hold, the qualifying offer, and all that stuff with Marvin Bagley III. Can you break that down for our fans, please? Yeah, sure. So the Pistons have the ability to make him a restricted free agent. 
this offseason. How you do that is you issue a qualifying offer to the player. That's what makes them restricted. That allows you to match any contract offer that they may get. That That's the, the simplest way to explain restricted free agency. Or what they can do is not give him a qualifying offer, and then he becomes a non-restricted free agent, and then he can sign with whoever he wants, including still the Pistons if they want to. They just don't have any kind of match rights to hold him. Now, where it gets a little interesting with Bagley, um, and I've seen some confusion about this across kind of the the NBA world here, is he has a $28.3 million cap hold. Uh, this offseason. And that's because what they do is the higher first round picks uh, get it's basically 250% of their prior year's salary is what what gets um, their cap hold comes in at. And that's because you're hopefully you got that pick right. And that means that guys are going to be signing for a max or near max deal um, You know when they come up to free agency. That cap hold does not change no matter what happens with Bagley um, as far as the qualifying offer can go. Now, the qualifying offer can change. As it stands today, that qualifying offer is $14.76 million. If he does not meet the starter criteria, which means uh, he doesn't start 41 games this year or play 2,000 minutes or average 41 starts or average 2000 minutes over the, the this year plus last year it, it's probably not going to get there but but we'll see um then his cap hold drops or excuse me his I, I slipped up there his <laughs> his qualifying offer drops down to that which is equal to the 15th pick in his same draft class which happens to be Troy Brown Jr uh for that draft class and that would be a 7.2 million dollar uh qualifying offer. So about half is the easiest way to think of that. Now, that changes nothing as far as the Pistons cap space goes, their projection. If they keep Marvin Bagley, the third's cap hold, they're going to be over the cap. There, There's almost no way for them to get underneath the cap if they hold on uh, to, to his cap hold and keep his free agent rights. The other option is they can renounce him uh, not give him a qualifying offer, announce his free agent rights, go the kind of maximum cap space route they can get to. I'm sure we'll get into that in just a minute here. And that's their option. Nothing changes. They can still re-sign him. They can still bring him back. It doesn't take remove their ability to do that. They just can't exceed the cap using his, his bird rights to do that. What changes with the qualifying offer, though, is if you offer him a what qualifying offer is a one-year contract offer, and that means he could sign that. If it's the 14.76, you offer him that he's on your books next season for one year at 14.76 million. Then uh, he becomes an unrestricted free agent in the summer 2023. Or if that qualifying offer is halved because he doesn't meet that starter criteria and he signs that he's on your books for you know 7.2 million. And that's, you know, starts to become a little bit more of a reasonable offer. But again, does not change the cap hold at all. Okay, so I have a uh, that was a I had just seen that the other day about the average of the last two years. So I'm glad you brought that up as well. So I want to can they when can they sign him to an extension? Could, could, like, what if he played well enough that Troy Weaver said we want Marvin Bagley here? We'll offer him a three year whatever million dollar deal and not even mess with the qualifying offer and the cap hold and all of that stuff. Is that a possibility um, to do, or would they have to not? Uh, not give him the qualifying offer and then try to do it as an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, unfortunately, because he's a first-round pick, 
whose contract is expiring, they op- they operate under a different set of rules than everybody else with extensions. So they can no longer offer him a contract extension. Um, what they could do is let's, and I'm completely making this up. This isn't any kind of sourced reporting or anything, but let's say they said, you know, Hey, we, we're all agreement of a three year, $30 million contract feels right for Marvin Bagley, the third in, you know, an average of 10 million a year. What they could do is they could do it a couple different ways. Either they could just kind of talk about that now, have that in their back pocket. And then when we hit free agency, they could immediately resign him to that contract that would uh, drop him right into their books at $10 million uh, when everything opens. And then they'd have the rest left over in potential cap space. Or you could go the route of, We're not going to do the qualifying offer. We're going to renounce you. We're going to open up all this cap space, and then we're going to go that direction. It's really, at that point, it doesn't really kind of matter because you're getting to the same end result. Anyway, with Bagley, you're just uh, uh, going about it two different ways. So let me ask you just this direct question because listening to this, it clears up a lot for me. I hope it does for our listeners as well. But I feel like there's no way the qualifying offer in that $28 million cap hold happens then. Yeah, that's where I'm at with this. He he has not been, uh, to me, I would have fear if I offered him a $14.7 million qualifying offer that he would immediately sign it and say, yeah, I'll play one year at almost $15 million because he's not going to get that much in a one-year contract as a free agent. I mean, he would have to be you know, incredible over these next couple months down the stretch here with the Pistons to even get to to that level. Um, So what I would do is I would basically say, no, no, if it's the $7 million qualifying offer, that maybe changes things just slightly because I'm not as worried about him signing that, but it's that $28 million cap hold that makes all the difference because that takes you completely out of the free agent mix. And so that cap hold only, one last question on this and then we'll move on a little bit, but that cap hold only stays until he would sign the qualifying offer. When he signs the qualifying offer, let's say at the 7.2 or what one or whatever it is, then that becomes his cap number. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Whatever you, in 99 times out of 100 situations, whatever you sign for, that becomes your cap number. Okay. So that cap hold would be 28 until he would sign the the, yep. the qualifying offer, but you would be at the mercy of him signing it. And Correct. especially with what you've tweeted out, you tweeted out right before we started recording this on Tuesday night, the Pistons go into the offseason or look like they could go into the offseason with the most cap of anybody in the NBA. Again, can you just give the listeners a little, like, is that if they renounce any team options um, obviously, I think Corey Joseph has a player option. What, where does that number come from? I guess for you, Keith. Yeah. So what I do is I go through and I do this exercise multiple times a year for all thirty teams, and in generally the the tent poles are kind of at the start of the year pre-trade deadline, post-trade deadline, and then I'll do it again right before the um, the, the like start of the offseason, like usually right around the draft uh, period. I'll do this. So what I do is I go through, I basically project everything out for every team of, all right, this is what they have for guaranteed money on the books. These, these are their options. I make an option uh, projection. So a lot of it 
it can be, um, I'm getting over clamped talking about cap space. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> hey, what I'll do is I'll, I'll use sourced reporting as we get closer to option decisions as far as what a player or a team might be leaning on somebody, what they might be doing with a non-guarantee. I use projected uh, draft picks in there. So it's this is a, when I project out a cap space number, it's full and it's, it's inclusive of every possible thing that could be inclusive. So where I'm at with the Detroit Pistons is they are sitting on right now uh, eight players with guaranteed money uh, for for next year. And I can just run through them real quick without going through the numbers, but it's Sadiq Bay, Cade Cunningham, Jeremy Grant, Killian Hayes, uh, Saban Lee, Isaiah Livers, Kelly Olenek, and Isaiah Stewart. Then they have, uh, I guess, unfortunately is the way I'll term it. They have $11.7 million in dead money. On the books. Now, Blake Griffin clears away, but they've still Thank got you, DeAndre Dedman. Jordan. Yep, DeAndre Jordan's the big one. And then they still have Zaire Smith yep. for, for one year. So, so you're, you're sitting there. Then you kind of get into, all right, now we're into decision time. And that, that's the guys with the option decisions and guys who are going to be free agents. So what I project to happen with the Detroit Pistons this offseason is I think Corey Joseph will opt in to his $5.1 million player option. I just think that's a, a number that's probably above what he's looking at uh, if he was to go the free agent route. Agreed. Yep. I think the Pistons will renounce Marvin Bagley. I think they will decline the team options for Hamadou Diallo and Frank Jackson and then renounce the two of them, as well as the team option for Luca Garza and renounce him. And then uh, Rodney Magruder is an unrestricted free agent. I believe they'll renounce them. That gets me to a projected cap space for the Pistons with the number one overall pick is what I'm projecting to them right now. That's where it gets a little wonky, right? Because we clearly don't have the lottery uh, factored in here, but we we just do that off a of record. Um, and then you have to make an assumption somewhere that, you know, the lottery will go to form. Um, I have them at a projected cap space of $31.4 million. Okay. And that is great. Cause I, I think a lot of Pistons fans see the number that you put out. And I don't think they realize always that the one, the pick has, has been factored in, which is important to note, but also for our listeners, if, if you were listening to that, like Marvin Bagley III would not factor into that. Frank Jackson, Hamadou Diallo not factoring into that money. So if those are guys that listeners are counting on being back next year because those are club options for those guys, that's not factored into the $31.4 million that Keith has, has tweeted out. So I'm really glad that we asked you that and you walked us through that. Um, I really appreciate that, Keith. Yeah, one thing I will say too, is it's going to be really important for like me and even other teams to be doing a lot of digging around what might happen with guys like Diallo and Jackson. Because there is a world where Troy Weaver could look at it and say, this reagent class stinks. There is nobody I want to give a bunch of money to. I'm better off keeping, you know, Hamadou Diallo and keeping um uh, Frank Jackson for a combined eight eight point three million dollars. Then I am letting either one of them go. Um, you know, I, I might be better off, you know, kind of rolling this into one more year uh, with, with those two guys because I may not be able to get replacement level guys for them. Bagley, I'm a little bit more confident in just because that's very much an either or. Either you have Marvin Bagley with his full cap holder or you have cap space. So that's kind of your either or decision. You can keep Diallo and Jackson and eat into your cap space number a little bit, which brings you more back down in range with the other teams. I project to have space this summer. 
Absolutely. I want to ask real quick about Jeremy Grant, and then I do want to get into this trade as a whole and look at it from at least one other team side, and then also the other trades, including your Boston Celtics, who were very active at the trade deadline with a few moves. Um, Jeremy Grant, what you know? Why do you think he didn't get moved? What are, are, is there anything you heard? Just your opinion? I whatever you want to give us, Keith. I'm comfortable with. But he was a name that was talked a lot about. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Pistons fans. A lot of Pistons fans were actually very disappointed he was not traded at the trade deadline. What What did you think about the fact that Jeremy Grant stayed in Detroit? Yeah, there was a point where leading up to the trade deadline, he was one of the guys on our show on a NBA front office show that I was saying I was most confident was going to get traded. And that included even after the Kings made their first trade, the one to get to Mana Sabonis, and they made it kind of clear, we're not going to trade Harrison Barnes. I, there were a lot of teams I know that were looking at Grant or Barnes. They they kind of had the two of them of, all right, that's the the forward, you know, the three four forward that's got some range, can can play defense. They're they're kind of you know either or kind of guys for us. But the Pistons wanted wanted a really solid return for Jeremy Grant from everything I was told, and teams just weren't willing to meet that number. And what 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 the intel I was able to gather was Troy Weaver and crew said. Jeremy Grant doesn't necessarily, he's not one of these guys where we're sure we're going to get into a few of them that were saying, I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of town. He was never that kind of guy. And they felt very comfortable with, hey, let's keep him. If we want to trade him, we can always do it at the draft. We can do it this summer when the offseason comes. If that's where we want to go, maybe there'll be a better deal for us then uh, to move Jeremy Grant. And that could be even something where, they do that at the draft or early enough in the offseason, you could see that be almost a way to, all right, we're going to do this, and now we're going to keep Bagley around and and hang on to his capital because we're going to move Jeremy Grant just for straight space or something like that. Well, we'll see how that all comes together, but that's what I was told on Jeremy Grant was they they just didn't get the offers they liked, and they didn't feel a real need to move him uh, at the deadline for something less than what they wanted. Very good. And so as you were talking about, what about a sign-in trade? Do you think, like, is there an advantage to keeping Jeremy Grant around that maybe a restricted free agent or something like that, that the Pistons, like, you know, they've been linked to a few different guys. I don't know how serious it is. But, you know, Pistons fans obviously are super excited about the possible of Miles Bridges, you know, DeAndre Ayton. Um, I know, I, I believe Brunson is an unrestricted free agent, but is there a chance, is there a world where Jeremy Grant's still on the books with the Pistons actually helps facilitate a sign and trade better than if he wasn't? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Let's just, let's, let's do the Miles Bridges one just, you know, for fun. If, if they really wanted to go down the route of getting Miles Bridges, what they could do is do a sign and trade where Jeremy Grant becomes a big chunk of that salary matching for Miles Bridges. Let's just let let's just call it even. Let's say Jeremy Grant roughly twenty one million. Let's say Miles Bridges comes in on a first year contract making twenty one million. You could do a straight trade trade of those two guys, and then if you're the Pistons, you're sitting there with Miles Bridges now. Plus, you're still sitting on your $31 million of cap space. Even if Miles Bridges comes in at 28, 29, 30 million, a max deal for Miles Bridges, you could still do that as a sign and trade where Jeremy Grant counts as 21 million towards uh, the matching salary. You make up the rest with cap space. And in that scenario, let, let's say he comes in at a, let, let's just say a full max at 30.2 million, which is what that projects at. You're sitting there at about nine ish million dollars difference. You'd still be sitting there at about $22 million in cap space plus Miles Bridges if you moved on Jeremy Grant to a team like the Hornets, who, you know, the reason why I wanted to play that one out a little bit is you could almost kind of maybe see the Hornets saying, you know, we don't really want to pay Miles Bridges this kind of money. 
Jeremy Grant's a pretty nice addition to keep us, you know, you know, uh, you know, relevant here in the playoff chase, at least for one more year. We'll figure it out with him extension wise and those kind of things. And that could be something you could see play out that way. Okay, good. I, I was hoping that I was at least, you know, thinking the right way about that, that, that that could come into play in the offseason with some of these free agents. And like you say, then you keep some of that cap space that we've talked a lot about. But let's get to another side of this deal. And then again, to some of the other trades, because I, I did want to get around the NBA with you um, and not just Detroit Piston talk. So that deal sent DiVincenzo, Lyles and Josh Jackson to Sacramento, Ibaka and two Pistons second round picks, not their own, but two that they own the rights to to Milwaukee. <laughs> that had been through the <laughs> mail a little bit. Yes, yes. <laughs> the Clippers, Rodney Hood, and Semi Ojale. I want to actually ask about the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you think Serge Ibaka, because they're obviously a team of all those teams, it's like a championship caliber team that's trying to win an NBA championship. Do you think Serge Ibaka makes an impact with them? And if so, how big of an impact? Yeah, I think he he has a chance to be pretty good for them. What they were looking for was a get-by guy while they're without Brook Lopez. Now, there was reporting right before the deadline that they're hopeful Brook Lopez will return before the end of the season. And I think we've kind of collective amnesia maybe on just how important he is to that Bucks team. He's the he anchors the back line of their defense, huge part of their their team. They really miss him offensively too. We think about his, you know, floor spacing, but he is the one guy on that team who when the offense is really kind of bogged down that they can throw it into Lopez in the post and say go get us a bucket. So what we're looking at I think now with um, Abaca is he's not a perfect replacement for Lopez because he's not doing any kind of low post scoring, but he can space the floor a little bit with the range on his jump shot. He can provide you that rim protection. You at least now don't have to hopefully overextend Bobby Portis and Giannis by asking them to really kind of split the 48 center minutes per game. By, by what you can do is you can say, all right, you know what? We can get Abaca in there for 15, 20 minutes a night. And it's probably not going to be great, but it at least gets us by. Okay, let's move on to, is it okay if I call him your Boston Celtics, Keith? Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I wish they were mine. <laughs> I, I would. I think I'd be a little bit more willing to duck into the luxury tax than they are, but 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 we'll see. But yeah, that's fine, man. You can okay. call mine. All right. Boston Celtics trade for Derek White, send Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, top four protected first round pick, and a 2028 pick swap. We will talk about the return in just a second, because I do want to ask about that, but I've heard a lot of really positive, and I, and I don't catch a ton of Spurs games. Uh, the, you know, our listeners know this that I, you know, I'm pretty invested in the Pistons. I don't, I don't do a lot other than box score, watch the rest of the NBA. I, I catch a game when I get a chance. But I've heard a lot of really, really positive things, and some negative, but mostly positive about Derek White joining this Boston team, and that he's just a really, really good fit and makes them really tough defensively. Yeah, that's the big one is the defense for for him. He he is a you know absolute terrific fit with the way they want to defend. Because what the Celtics want to do is they want to switch everything one through five. They 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 believe in having big switchable defenders, uh, bigs that can step out to the perimeter, uh, smalls that can hold their own against bigs inside. They're not worried about you know maybe other than it's kind of odd we're recording this right before they're going to play the Philadelphia 76ers but other than the Sixers they're not really worried about any bigs kind of going down inside and backing their guys down and putting them in the goal old school style and they also trust that 
we can scramble out of those. We can switch around. We, we can do what we need to do to get guys. So White is a perfect fit in with that group because what he'll allow them to do is uh, he's really kind of the replacement for both Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder. Uh, but in the closing groups and in the late game minutes, he's the, the replacement for Schroeder, who is closing a lot of those games. And because he's he's a lot bigger, uh, he's a lot better of a defender, they don't have to change anything the way they want to defend. Uh, his He could shoot it better. He's not a great shooter from the outside. I think he's better than what he's shown this year. He's already shown a little bit with the Celtics that he's getting more open looks, which would make sense, right? With the Celtics, he's got Tatum and Brown and uh, Robert Williams as a lob threat. Those guys are all kind of drawing detention that it was kind of him and DeJounte Murray in San Antonio creating everything. So hopefully with more open looks, we'll see his percentage go up. But the other thing is he's just a natural playmaker. So he's another guy is the Celtics. One of the things they've done in the really since the calendar turn in 2022 was play this much quicker, much more up-tempo style where the ball's really moving around and they get a bunch of guys who can attack, second attack to the paint, even a third attack into the paint and a drive and a kick and a drive and a kick. And White fits in with that perfectly where Schroeder was a little bit more catch it, hold, survey, wait for a screen, dribble into a mid-ranger. It's, it's, it's not necessarily bad. It's just different and it didn't really fit with the way the Celtics want to run their offense. And of course, the Pistons will get a first-hand look of this on Wednesday night, hopefully when you're listening to this Wednesday morning, so you'll see it tonight, um, or will have already happened, depending on when you catch the episode. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest, Keith, I'm a little nervous about the Pistons even getting to like 80, 90 points on Wednesday <laughs> night. It, it wasn't pretty on Monday offensively, and with what the Celtics are doing defensively, um, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, I know there was two other trades. You, you guys flipped uh, Dozier, Bull Bull, second-round pick for another. I assume that was just a, you know a cap space thing. Yep. Straight salary dump to avoid the luxury tax. And then Schroeder, Bruno Fernando, for, yes. And Enos Freedom, who was waived, for Daniel Tice. Like, is that an under-radar nice little move there for Daniel Tice? Or are you excited about that? What kind of role is he going to have? Yeah, we'll see. Daniel Tice played his best basketball when he was with the Celtics. Uh, early in his career, he was uh, one of – Danny Ainge had kind of hit about three or four years in a row finding a guy overseas and bringing him over. And Tice was part of that mix, and he, he really had become a really quality guy. He'd, be, he'd worked his way into being their starting center on a, on a team that uh, you know, went to the East Finals and the teams that won an awful lot of games. So what the Celtics are hoping for with him is he is a massive – upgrade over Ennis Freedom who is playing the fourth big role because they've basically given their big man minutes uh, when everybody's healthy to Robert Williams and Al Horford both start and then Grant Williams plays plays the, the rest. So that, that group of those three play out of the 96 uh, minutes at the two big positions, they probably play about 80 minutes a game between those three guys. And then you play small a little the, the rest of the time there. But what they have with Tice now, and we're going to see this actually, unfortunately tonight, Robert Williams has some calf tightness and isn't going to play against the 76ers here on Tuesday. So what you're going to see is, Daniel Tice is going to slide in and spin play more minutes as a kind of that, that insurance big behind Horford and Grant Williams in this case. But on a regular night, Tice may only see five, 10 minutes um, in a game as it's, you know, they're pretty comfortable with that three big rotation. But when he does need to play, the difference when they had Ennis in there was you had to 
completely changed the way you played defense. You couldn't switch. You had to uh, either that or you're going to, you know, switch uh, one through four around one, kind of leave him hanging out around the basket. And they, they, they did a lot of different things to try to work around it with Tice. You could just do everything you do with Horford and the two Williams without any concerns. It may take him, you know, it's going to probably be a couple weeks for him to get, you know, fully back up to speed and ready to go, but they, they're really comfortable with him. The trade-off is they took on some kind of questionable, you know, long-term money over the next couple of years, but the Celtics are setting themselves up to be in a position where they're pretty good, and then they're going to have a whole bunch of these uh, mid-range tradable contracts that they can pile together in a deal if they need to. Okay, so uh, you just said pretty good there, so I think I know what your answer is going to be on this. Are the Celtics, as it stands right now, are they kind of under the radar contenders in the East? Um, I think they're climbing into that status. I, I don't know that they're quite there yet. I, I think, um, let's see. I mean, they've won eight in a row, but it hasn't been against the best competition. Now, where I'll flip that is, it's, I'm not going to rip them for that because they were losing to those bad teams earlier in the year. Um, so, you know, you can only play the teams in front of you on the schedule. So I think what happens with the Celtics is we're going to see them get into a position where if they can – keep winning games and start beating some of the better teams. I think they have a shot. And I think the reason why is you touched on it a minute ago is their defense is really, really, really good since the first of the year, it's been the best in the NBA and it's not even close. It's by a really uh, healthy margin. I want to say it's almost by uh, six points per 100 possessions um, that they, they are better. They, it's it's getting very difficult to crack a hundred points on these guys. So if, if they can defend like that, they're going to be in just about every game. And now they've got kind of the versatility, the size all across the board to switch, to play a bunch of different ways. So let's see what they do against some better teams, but I think they have a chance to make some noise in the in the postseason. I just took a huge big sigh as you were talking about how good the defense was as I think about the Pistons having to play them on Wednesday night, but um, we'll, we'll see. All right, to a couple teams that absolutely are contenders in the East, the biggest trade of the day, I think we, we all know this. I just want to get your initial thoughts. James Harden for Ben Simmons. I know there was more to the trade than that. Seth Curry, I think, is a really nice piece. I think he had a really good night on Monday night, actually, mm-hmm. for the Nets. Two first-round picks involved. But what were your initial initial thoughts whenever you saw that trade go down? Yeah, my, my first initial thought is, thank God it's over on both sides. <laughs> and we're, we're moving on from this. Uh, that, that's my initial thought. That, that makes me happier than just about any other other thing that we have. And hopefully we're going to get past this uh, you know new report every day about why somebody was sad and mopey in uh, Brooklyn or Philly. But I, my when I look at it basketball-wise, I think my, my initial thoughts match my thoughts today. And it is... I think Philly has a chance to make out really, really well here in the short term, maybe as soon as this season. If you get a motivated, healthy James Harden, that it was along with Joel Embiid playing the way he is, I mean, he's just been kind of laying waste to the entire league. You could see that team win a championship. There, there's no doubt in my mind. Now, when you look at uh Philly's side of it is it may or excuse me, Brooklyn side of things, it may take a little while longer. We don't know. We still don't know when Kevin Durant's going to be back. We don't know what it'll look like. Kyrie Irving's still a part-time player. Let's see what it looks like for Ben Simmons to play when he hasn't played you know, competitive basketball in, gosh, what, what are we looking at now? Seven, eight months at this point um, by the time he'll play. So so that starts to become the kind of questions that I'm asking um, with, with this team is, you know, where, where, how are you going to look? But I think long-term, 
that has a chance to be pretty good for them too. Cause I'm not one of these people who is fully out on Ben Simmons. I know a lot of people are, um, they're not fans anymore because the lasting print impression is him not shooting the ball, passing up a dunk and not playing well in the playoffs. And I, I think maybe there's been some collective amnesia on the fact that this guy's still the best one through five defender in the league. Um, he's equally good at all five positions defensively. He's still a really talented playmaker with the ball in his hands. He can still be really good if you let him push the ball. I think he has a chance to kind of be maximized playing alongside Durant and Irving, and let's see what it ultimately looks like. But if you're playing him as kind of the uh, pseudo Draymond Green yes, type of role, yes, yeah, yes. then you've opened Ben Simmons up quite a bit. Now that's that's where I think – I don't know that that happens right now, but I think down the line, that has a chance to look pretty good for Brooklyn. I mean, I'm just looking at it from Ben Simmons' perspective. Like, he couldn't have, I feel like he fell into a really good spot for him to be successful. And now it's on Ben Simmons to, you know, be able to make the best of it. And uh, I'm really interested to see. I haven't been out on Ben Simmons either. Um, I've, you know, I've looked through playoff, you know, stats and stuff. It's like, it wasn't like it was six point games all through his playoff career. Like he put up huge Mm -hmm. numbers in games in the playoffs, in the regular season. I want to ask a real quick, just technical question. It came across my phone today. James Harden's, it wouldn't be his player op. What what would it be called right now that he didn't, (laughs) the paperwork didn't get through or something? Did I see that correctly? Yeah. So he has a player option for next season. Uh, It's a, it's a $47.4 million player option. And what I think caused confusion was there was a report uh, when the trade was made that he was going to opt in as part of that trade, which you can do. You you can do it kind of all at once and say, yeah, as part of the trade, I'm opting in for next season. Uh, It sounds like that part didn't didn't happen uh, when the, the the trade went down. So he still has the ability at any point to opt in for next season. He says he's going to. He says he's not leaving town. He's either going to opt in or he's going to opt out. There's some reporting out there that he may opt out and actually sign a lesser contract than what he could take to give Philadelphia maybe the ability to go get a, another player around him and Joel Embiid. So let's see where that ultimately goes. But yeah, I, I don't, I, there, there's, I, I think it's almost natural the way these things go of, Hey, this didn't happen. What does this mean? Is he leaving? He doesn't want to be here and all that stuff. And I kind of get where the fear could come in. Cause this guy has not been happy in his last couple of stops. But my guess is this is just going to be, he and Daryl Morey are smart enough to align this, to get him paid and put things in a pretty good place going forward. Okay. All right. I'm glad I asked then and we were able to clear that up. So we have Keith for about 15, 20 minutes here. So we may have to run through these a little bit quicker, but I put this one as in the most head scratching trade of the day. And, and maybe you didn't think it was, but it sure seemed like the one that that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's not the Tyrese Halliburton one. That was I put that as the biggest shock. Most head scratching was for me, Christoph's Przingis to Washington, Spencer Didwitty and Bertans to Dallas. Like what am I missing here that I shouldn't be missing, Keith? That that where this makes more sense. I don't know that I'm going to make you scratch your head any any less. I, okay. I think you might be just as uh, confused on this one as I, I, I am a little bit here. It's th- This one definitely 
screams we we both just want out of these contracts um you know they clearly washington things were not going well uh for them now there's been all this reporting that's come out about how just how unhappy everybody was on the wizards and they they i mean by the time they they finally got healthy it was almost a bad thing because then they had like 14 guys who needed to play the four and the five and it's just you know no one's going to be happy in that situation so and, and Spencer Dinwiddie was not playing well for them. So I think for them, it was a chance of, all right, let's clear these two guys out. And you know what? We'll become the new team to take a shot on Porzingis. Maybe he gets healthy. Maybe he can really do something. Maybe he'll finally figure it all out here in Washington. And from the Dallas side, I think it was, you know what? We're done waiting on this guy. We're done saying, yeah, all right, maybe next year, maybe next year. Let's get, you know, Davis Bertans, who just a couple years ago was one of the best shooters in the league. Let's get him in here, see if we can figure that out, get him back to where he was. Let's get Dinwiddie in here, somebody everybody liked a couple years ago before he got hurt. Maybe we can figure it out by playing him in a less pressure reserve role and those kind of things. And you know what? Let's just clear out the Porzingis question. So I... I don't have a lot more to it than that. Let's see, you know, how these guys perform because the money's about equal on both sides, uh, you know, over the next couple of years. So let, let's see where this one goes. But yeah, it, this one definitely came out of nowhere. There, there's a clip of uh, me and my co-host Trevor Lane uh, reacting to this live. And I think his response was perfect. He took a beat. He looked a little quizzical. And then he said, why? So <laughs> I, I think that was pretty good. Um, and so the piss inside of me has to ask this question because Jalen Brunson, I don't know, I don't want to say linked, but there's just been conversations that maybe Pistons fans that talk about it. I don't know that there's been like necessarily reporting. I feel like there has a little bit. Is the Spencer Dinwiddie in any way, Keith, a possible insurance policy of Jalen Brunson actually leaving Dallas this offseason? Yeah, I think it is at least to some extent. I, 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 you know, all indications are that the Mavericks are going to do what they need to do to keep Jalen Brunson. I think if they had their way, he'd sign an extension today, which will look an awful lot like the one Dorian Finney-Smith just signed. Um, but if you're Jalen Brunson, you're you're betting on a bigger payday. You're you're thinking I might be able to get twenty million dollars just because you start looking at the the free agent list and who might be out there. He's pretty high on that yes, list because yes, he you know, he's a pretty good player. Now, the challenge is if you're Jalen Brunson, if we go through those kind of cap space teams uh, this summer, well, Portland's not giving him a bunch of money because they have Damian Lillard. San Antonio has DeJounte Murray because they're not giving him a bunch of money. Orlando has a host of different guards. The Pacers just acquired Tyrese Halliburton. So if I'm Jalen Brunson, I'm really thinking – all right, Mavs, do, do I know I can get paid from you? Or you know what? I'm going to go at least have a conversation with the Detroit Pistons and see if I can get a chunk of that cap space. And I don't hate that idea for the Pistons. I'm not fully sold that Cade Cunningham is a point guard per se. I think what he is is a high-volume wing, and there is a difference. That And that's not a knock on Cade Cunningham. I'm super excited about him. I think he is uh, uh, growing leaps and bounds almost by the game. You can see him figuring stuff out. But I do think what, what may be is – he may be best if he has somebody else to kind of help him a little bit more with the playmaking and backcourt scoring. And Jalen Brunson might be the guy to do that. No, I, I don't disagree at all. I, I think I lean a little bit more towards he needs a big time scorer next to him. Sure. But I, but I don't think you're incorrect at all in that he also needs someone to help with the, the – I think he can play off ball. I think that's – and I think he needs to play off ball at time. We've seen him get tired and worn down. Like I watch from home, so I, I hate to do that and say things like that. But just watching the games, I feel like you can see him get worn down because 
he does impact the game in so many ways. He's an engaged defender. He rebounds. He does a lot of things. And so I don't think it would hurt for to have another guy handle the ball and let him play off the ball some as well. You brought up Tyrese Halliburton. That for me was the biggest shock of the day, mostly because I don't think anybody saw Tyrese Halliburton getting moved. I want to ask this specific question though, Keith. Was the value for Tyrese Halliburton, the return that the Kings got, we can talk about the fit, like, was it really as bad as, because I feel like people freaked out, like, are you kidding me? You're trading Tyrese Halliburton. What did you just think about the value in terms of the return of Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a second round pick? Yeah, things went way too far in that direction, especially on Twitter and social media and the like. It was like we traded, uh, you know, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but Michael Jordan for, uh, you know, uh, John Concac or, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody like that. Like, it's, you know, well, what are we doing here? This is not, uh, you know, but I like Tyrese Halbert. He's one of my favorite young players in the league, but like he's not, you know, it's not like he is John Morant. Did, you know, this early in his career where it's like, oh man, you might have just traded away an MVP. I think Tyrese Halliburton might be an all-star at least multiple times, but he's got work to do to get there. And the thing is, Demonis Sabonis has already been an all-star a couple times. And and I know he's not everybody's favorite all-star and people aren't super high on him and they don't think he's, you know, all that great and all, everything that gets said about him. But I think he's a pretty good player. And I, I think the the Kings did kind of okay here. I, I would have preferred probably like everybody, you know, move De'Aaron Fox and keep Halliburton, but that wasn't on the table. You got to give something to get something. And I think watching the Kings play uh, their first couple games after the trade deadline uh, with Sabonis in the lineup, you can kind of see what the thought process was is it doesn't have to be all De'Aaron Fox. Fox can play off Sabonis. We could run some stuff through him at the elbow or at the high post as a central hub, and we could do some different stuff. And they kept Barnes, and they're playing okay. This is one of those trades where I think we may look back at this in a couple years years and say, you know what, Uh, despite all the reaction, the way it happened, that was actually pretty good for both teams. Yeah, I mean, Sabonis is 25. His contract is very, you know, very manageable yeah. right now. Really good contract. Yep. And so that that was my thing. Like, I, I had the same reaction as everybody else. And I tweeted out, like, I did not expect Halliburton to get traded. <laughs> yeah. But the more you think about it, it's like, maybe it's a better fit. And, like, they may end up being wrong. But, you know, like, you had Fox, you had Halliburton. Like, I'm not saying you should make, you know, franchise decisions necessarily on Davion Mitchell, but it opens up some stuff for Dave. Maybe they think he is better than what he's been able to show with more opportunities. I don't know, but it seems like Sabonis fits in really nice with what they need. I don't know. Like I just, at least the value I didn't think was that bad. So yeah, we're, we're on the same page on that one. Okay. Portland Trailblazers. We, we don't have time to break down every single deal. <laughs> um, there's so many players, a lot of picks, all that stuff. Norman Powell, CJ McCollum, all out. Um, Bledsoe, Winslow, Josh Hart, Keon Johnson, all those guys in. Here's what I want to ask. What was, what's the vision for the Portland Trailblazers, Keith? Because again, this plays into the Pistons a little bit as well. The, the Trailblazers were a team that supposedly, reportedly, that was interested in Jeremy Grant. I felt like, no, there, there's no way they're going to trade for him at the deadline because they want to punt on the rest of the season. Maybe they trade for him in the offseason now. Is that where Portland is? Let's punt on the rest of this season. Lillard will be back next season. They have cap space. You know, Is that where they're at? Yeah, there's a couple things at play with Portland. And I think the first one is they, I think, correctly looked at it and said, all right, we've done everything we can do with this group. 
we're we're not going any further now. This is this is as played uh, out as it's going to get. And I think that's that gets taken almost the wrong way of you know they gave up on it. But I look at it as you you gave this thing almost a decade long run, and that's that's better than uh, most people get with that. Now they changed pieces and parts around McCollum and Lillard for sure, but but I mean those were the core guys, and they ran with them. So now the decision I think for the rest of this year is. I'm going to be surprised if we see Damian Lillard play again this year. I think it's going to be you get 100% right coming back from that injury. Then they own their pick if it's in the lottery. If it's not in the lottery, it goes to Chicago. So I don't think Portland necessarily cares all that much about uh, dropping down in the lottery. Now, as I say that, they've won three straight. They've actually picked up a couple of wins I don't think we expected. And they, I, I call the bottom uh, play-in race in the West the pillow fight because I it's it's just not a lot of good teams. They're, they're just kind of someone's going to stumble their way into it. But let's see what happens with Portland because I still think they'll be in the lottery because they'll get bounced in the first uh, play-in game. Then they get New Orleans pick if New Orleans pick falls between 5 and 14. So they're going to be hoping that the Pelicans are – bad and then don't have any lottery luck or they'll get a future pick. So what you did is you did that. You also completely reset your cap sheet. Their only big contract now that they've got left is Damian Lillard. Uh, you, you were locked in a 70 plus million between Lillard and McCollum. Now you've got Lillard and who knows what you're going to have for you know, big money. It, it may be next to nothing. I project them to have cap space uh, this offseason, which is a you know first time in a little while for them to have cap space. They also went from, I want to say they were 6 or $7 million over the tax uh, before their deadline dealings, and they are, now all, they are now almost $16 million under the tax for the rest of the season. So they completely blew that roster up outside of Dame. They reset things, and they put themselves in a position to do a lot of interesting stuff this summer. Okay, I want to get to one more trade, and then I have a general salary cap question um, with the possible spike coming up. But I want to, the Cavs-Pacers trade that involved Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio, who was the salary match, and some draft picks. I don't want to necessarily get into the trade. What does this mean for Colin Sexton? I, I believe restricted free agency. Does this mean the Cavs are planning on not matching whatever offer he may get and moving on from Sexton this summer? Or or do you think it, it that's kind of what it shows? I, I think there's a couple of things at play here. I don't think they were going to be in a match any offer anyway um, for Sexton because he. I think they now see with the way they've built that roster out that he's gonna be a third guy in a three guard rotation they I just don't know that you can make it work with him in uh in a garland I don't know if it was intentional but it's really good you're asking this question on the heels of just talking about Portland and I think they're looking at it and saying Portland was good for a lot of years with two smaller guards but never quite got over the hump and I think the Cavs are probably looking at him being that that could be us if we lock in here long term now I think they like the idea of bringing Sexton back I think uh they they did clearly they're not happy he got hurt but they're going to use that if they can get him on a uh, much more reasonable deal to come back next year something that's a little team friendly maybe still movable but the reality is Levert is a guy who can fit there with Sexton, without Sexton. So I think if a team wants Colin Sexton, like if you were looking at the Pistons, you're going to have to give a lot of that $31 million in cap space to him in an offer sheet to get Cleveland not to match it. And that's where that could get a little dangerous because usually to get a restricted free agent, you have to overpay him. But if you go a little too far with that, now all of a sudden you're kind of stuck with a guy who, you know, he's not bad, but 
boy, we wish we weren't sitting on $25 million a year for this guy. Okay, last question, then I know we got to get you to the Celtics game tonight. Um, the salary cap in general, I've, I've just read a few things. Can we expect or anticipate a spike coming over the next few years based on, is it a TV deal, Keith, that the NBA is signing? That could is, is that something that teams are planning for with their cap space looking further into the future? And also even players who may want to sign a shorter deal and then get in, back into free agency sooner. Yeah, so there's a there's a couple things at play, and you're right. It's the new TV deal that's coming, and and the one thing that we have seen continue to draw a ton of money from these networks is live sports. And the NBA is not necessarily opposed to. It may not be uh, ABC, ESPN, TNT anymore. They maybe they open that up to Amazon or to uh, Netflix or to you know uh, uh, you know. Disney Plus through the ESPN Plus app or whatever it is, as far as, hey, we may open this thing up to different ways to get this product to people. And we, we've we've heard Amazon is out there throwing around and hey, we may, you know, buy, buy the rights to, you know, the NFL games and all those kind of things. So, you know, I mean, Lord knows they've got more money than, than anybody else in the world to do kind of whatever they want to do. So the NBA knows we're going to get paid here. The the sign that the league is in really good health. If we go back, let's let's look back over the last couple of years. In 2019-20, the pandemic season, they were at $109 million salary cap. They kept the flat cap flat into the next year because they lost so much money. It was gonna be crazy to try to rework that, uh, mostly just through having empty arenas. But then this year, what they agreed to was we'll go up by the bare minimum of 3%. So the cap went up. This next year, they were projected to go up, not by the 3%, but by slightly more to $119 million. And then right before the trade deadline, the league came out with a new set of projections to their teams that was $121 million cap. So that says things are looking pretty good for the NBA, whether it's, uh, you know, the more fans in arenas, clearly that's helping, but also maybe it's merchandise sales, maybe it's other stuff, you know, that's coming in. And what the league, I think, is really kind of looking at here uh, moving forward is, all right, we feel pretty confident we're going to go. Now, what they don't want to do from a league perspective is they don't want another one of these giant cap spikes. If in the, the one everybody remembers <laughs> yes. was 2016, where the cap went up by $14 million. They don't want that again. There was some bad contract signed that year, Keith. <laughs> that's exactly it, man. What happens there is it all goes to one free agent class, and then it's a bunch of Timofey Mozgov, Luol Deng deals, and everybody's like, oh, what did we do? You know, it's, it's, it's almost like the league went out, collectively got drunk, and had a bad night. <laughs> um, you know, looking at that credit card bill the next day of like, what happened here? So what the NBA would like to see happen, and I think there's more momentum for it this time around, is smooth that out where – Instead of jumping by, you know, 10, 20 million dollars in one season, it's let's progress this in seven million, seven million, seven million. Whereas maybe it should have been 20 million, three million, three million. Let's do, you know, eight million a year or something like that. So what we're going to see here is the, the cap is going to continue to rise by how much we don't know that just yet, but we're looking at in a just a few years. It sounds kind of crazy to say 2025 is just a few years away, but it really is. We're looking at a cap that's probably going to be up over $140 million. 
Okay, and that's why I did because especially with the Jeremy Grant contract extension, and I've I've had to try to factor that into my yeah. you know when I you know because four years for a hundred million dollars for Jeremy Grant if if let's say that's what it ends up getting twenty five million dollars sounds like a lot for Jeremy Grant, but like you said that wouldn't be until twenty twenty three and then you know if it's almost over one hundred fifty million by twenty twenty five when that deal's still in place like that's. That's not even a top 50 contract, probably top seven. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's that, it's a really, really good point. It is not going to turn into a situation where all of a sudden it is, you know, an absolutely rotten contract. And you're like, oh, my gosh, how can we get out of this? That's, that's now James Harden getting paid $60 million five <laughs> years from now. That's a little different because that's, you know, that's, you know, that that's a pretty big number. But yeah, it's I, I've been kind of trying to caution people to. Don't get so stuck on this compared to today's cap. You got to think about where the cap's going to go in a few years. Absolutely, man. Keith, I, I always have so much fun whenever we record. Um, I enjoy listening to you. Um, I, I, I literally just sit here as a fan and just listen and take it all in. I learned a lot. I hope our listeners will. I, I know they will enjoy it. Thank you so much. I know you got to get to your Celtics game, but just give everybody a chance right now to find everything you're doing. It's all great stuff. It's all great resources. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Be forewarned, I tweet a lot. Uh, did, don't don't do what a couple people sent me during the trade deadline. Don't put notifications on for me. I'm not a news breaker. I'm not not that kind of guy. You do not need those on. You're you're just going to be mad and throw your phone out the window with the amount of time it goes off. But you can find my written work if you're interested in this kind of stuff, salary cap stuff. Uh, out of interest, I've got a Jalen Brunson piece coming soon uh, over at SpotTrack.com. Um, I'll also shout out our team over there. We have the most accurate uh, salary information that is publicly available for the NBA um, that, that you can get there. Every player, every team, every contract, all the details are there on spot track. And then if you're interested in listening to more conversation like this uh, every day, Monday through Friday, Trevor Lane and I host a show called NBA front office show. It's on YouTube and you can find it on every major podcast player. Uh, so when you're done listening to motor city hoops, come find us. You can uh, you know, listen to us talk, about you know the latest news and injury updates and all the stuff that's going around in the NBA and then as we get close to the offseason free agent previews and all sorts of stuff like that. So thank you again to Keith. Make sure you check out his podcast. And seriously, I'm not just saying this because Keith was on. I go to Spot Track for all of my caps. You know, any information, whether it's Pistons or otherwise, that's the website I use um, because of Keith. He put me on that one actually when he was on Locked On Pistons with Koo. And ever since then, that's the only website I use for all the salary cap stuff. They have everything you would want there. As always, I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for me and Motor City Hoops. And for anyone that was curious, he will be coming with me to be a part of the new podcast, The Pistons Pulse, that we announced at the beginning of the episode. I also want to thank all of you for listening to and supporting the podcast. We have three more episodes to close out the month of February before we make that move, which we hope all of you will make with us. Wednesday night will be our final instant recap and reaction episode after the Pistons play the Celtics. And then our final two weekly episode, I'll first be joined by Sham Mohill of the Detroit Bad Boys and at Sham Ham God on Twitter. And then the final episode of Motor City Hoops, our guest will be Lauren Williams, Pistons beat writer for M Live. Thank you, go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh,